electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, John, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the great inflation debate and your money. Who's got it right, the Fed and the markets or the so-called smart money. We'll debate that and discuss with the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Pete Nigerian, Jim Lamenthal, Michael Farr. He's the president of Farr Miller. And Washington, good to see everybody. Let's go to the walls. We always do to start the show. Take a look at what is happening with stocks. They are down across the board. And inflation read a little hot. Retail sales a little light. The Fed beginning its two-day meeting. All right, Pete, I feel like this is what we've got, okay? We've got the smart money. The Diamond, the Gorman, the Paul Tudor Jones and others versus Jay Powell and company. The market's caught in the middle. Stocks seem to be voting with the Fed. Stock market thinks the Fed's got this right at least so far. What do you think? Well, I think the Fed has it right in terms of it. But how long? I, I, I'm more viewing it on the, the lengthiness of the transitory side of things with inflation. And I think that's that's really going to be the key. And obviously, they're monitoring it. They're watching it very closely each and every day. And, and, and that's something that everybody's been up to for a long period of time. But I think the reality of it is, Scott, we bounced off some lows recently. We bounced off, as a matter of fact, in volatility, we bounced off some lows. We were just trading at 15 just a couple of days. As a matter of fact, yesterday and previous days where we'd hit 52-week lows. So it tells me a lot about where people stand right now in terms of comfort and where they are betting with their money, where are their dollars going. And it feels like people are feeling fairly comfortable. I think people do realize that this is transitory to some degree, but I think it's a longer uh, view than most, most of the people. I don't think this is short term. I think it's going to take a while, Scott, to really get through all of this, to get back where supply is some, something that we're not as worried about, because that is something that we are continuing to worry about each and every day. Supply in just about every category you can come up, whether that's lumber, whether that's chips, whether that's whatever it might be. And I think that's going to be a problem for a while that's probably more lengthy than most people think. Yeah, no, lumber is like plunging off of its, its highs. Maybe, maybe that's not the best tell. I don't know. Stephanie Link, S&P is near <laughs> a high, right? As is the NASDAQ, Plenty. as are the Qs. The banks are not trading well. The market certainly doesn't seem to be concerned that inflation is going to be a huge problem, nor does it seem to be concerned that the Fed is going to pull a rabbit out of its hat and do anything shocking tomorrow when it actually makes its decision at the end of this two-day meeting. Yeah, I mean, the meeting today, tomorrow is very important. And I know we're all focused on inflation, transitory, not. I'll get to that in a second. But there are a lot of positives, Scott, that are happening in the economy that I think I expect the Fed to highlight. So the latest takeaway is the handoff from the goods sector, which is still strong, but going into the services sector. And it's 70% of the U.S. economy, so we want services to do well. And even the retail sales number today that was disappointing, and but oh, by the way, was up 22% from 2019 levels. 
the strength came from leisure, food, and drink. So it's confirming services is picking up. We all know this, but it's good to see it in the data. And I think as a result, the second quarter, you're going to see 10% annualized consumption. Again, a very big part of the economy, and I expect the Fed to focus on it. On inflation, you know where I stand. I think parts are definitely transitory, and it's definitely on the commodity side, but parts are not in terms of wages. The last uh, 12 non-farm payroll jobs reports that came out, 11 out of the uh, 12 non-farm payrolls average hourly earnings were up. That's a good thing. We want wages to go up. But from a corporate point of view, how are these companies going to offset that? It's going to be price increases for sure. We're already starting to see that. Does that crimp demand? So that's why I think some of this is transitory and some of it isn't. And oh, by the way, to Pete's point, transitory can take a really long time. We have 9.2 million job openings out there. That's not going to solve itself overnight. So that's something that I'm watching as well. So, Michael Farr, Kramer says if the Fed does nothing this week, as he expects, and Jay Powell's already sort of showed his hand. I mean, it's going to be a shocker if they actually say anything substantive about a taper or a time frame or anything of the like. Kramer says in that scenario, okay, where they don't do anything, it's energy, it's heavy machinery, it's materials, it's chemicals. On the other side, I've got Paul Tudor Jones saying it's all about commodities and the inflation trade, as he called it. Got some crypto, got some gold, got some cash. I'm not really sure what to do with the other 80 percent of the portfolio. I got to kind of wait and see. (laughs) Now, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, Paul Tudor Jones. But you get the point. What am I supposed to do if I'm watching this program today and I'm caught on either side? I'm not exactly sure what to do. With good cause, Scott. I mean, Paul Tudor Jones yesterday, though, said when the Fed shows its hand this week that he would move the other 80 percent. And I think he'd move them more in lines with what what Kramer's saying so that he can get in front of that, the preponderance of that inflation trade, that he can catch those uh, uh, warm winds uh, that, that will uh, lift us higher in the sky. Uh, Look, we are not only seeing inflation, but we're seeing expectations for inflation in today's Wall Street Journal go even higher. Ten percent for housing, another eight percent a year from now in food. So the question is, can you have inflation that just kind of inflates and then stops and maybe trickles a little bit higher slowly after that? Nobody really is willing to hang their hat on what transitory means other than it's not going to be something that permanent. But, you know, Stephanie Link has told us for a long time uh, on this program that wage inflation is not transitory. You don't take somebody to $17 an hour and then bring them back down to $13 an hour. So some of this is here. Some of this is going to become very structural and stay with us. Those companies with pricing power are going to be able to execute. Those companies with strong balance sheets are going to be able to endure. And those who have a clear investment strategy don't change their strategy just because crazy noise starts hitting them from the sidelines about the Fed and inflation and everything else. You go back to your strategy, you go back to your discipline, and you say, I'm a long-term investor, and this is what I own, this is why I own it, and I'm going to stick with it. Unless you don't think that some of these trades, Michael, are going to continue to work in the current environment. Farmer Jim, I I turn to you on that. Look at the banks. Look at the bank trade this month, right? They're all down this week. They're all down this month. And what was a roaring trade has grinded to a halt. Why? See what rates are doing? Ten years at 150. Ten years says Fed's not doing anything. 
Tenure says Fed's not doing anything for a long time. And even if they start talking about talking about tapering, it's going to be a long time before they actually do anything regarding <laughs> the actual taper. So the bank stocks now are stuck in the mud. Is that the, the right place to look at it? Uh, well, that's factually correct, and it is because of interest rates. But I think what the market's missing right now about the banks is it's not just interest rates. It's about an economy that's expanding, and as the economy expands, loan demand should pick up. Uh, credit card spending should pick up. Auto loans should pick up, et cetera. Yeah, we already know um, that. And it's not, right? it's not just loan demand. Right. Well, we know we that, also though. The banks, already they, know. The bank stocks wait, know wait, that. Scott, we also... We also already know that the interest rate on the 10-year yield has gone from 175 to 150. What I'm mm -hmm. telling you is I think the market is paying way too much attention to where interest rates are right now when it comes to the banks. And it's losing sight of the fact that we're still going to have loan losses rolling off, reser reserves coming off of the balance sheets of these banks. So if, if one wants to make the bank trade all about the interest rates, then the banks are fairly priced right now. But what I submit to you is it's more than just interest rates. We're early in an economic expansion. That's going to favor the financials. There's just no way to get around it. And by the way, I want to say one know. more thing. Sorry. The 10-year, nope, the 10-year, the 10-year at mm -hmm. 150 mm -hmm. with inflation at whatever number you want to choose, whether it's 5% or maybe it settles at 3%. At this point in the economic expansion, to have a negative 150 to 350 basis point 10-year is crazy. That's not going to be the case next year when the Fed starts to taper its bond purchases. So you got to look at where the puck's going. It's not going to be 150 on the 10 year next year. It's going to be 2% plus. Stephanie Link, weigh in on the financials, please, because it has been, if not all about rates, a lot about rates, right? I can hear you a thousand times in my head over the last years. Nim, Nim, net interest margin, right? <laughs> Banks borrow low yeah. rate, yep. lend out at higher rate. You got to watch the spread. That's how they make a lot of their money. If rates are low on the 10-year, they don't make as much money. That's a problem for the bank stocks, is it not? That's why a lot of these companies are diversifying, and you have to stock pick each name for individual reasons. First and foremost, the XLF is up 26% year to date. Most of the banks, the big ones that I cover, that I own, are up anywhere from 30 to 60% year to date. You're allowed to take a pause here, right? But the stocks are still cheap. The capital positions are awesome. We're going to get another C car, and you're going to have a lot of capital distribution on top of what we're already getting. And then I say you have to stock pick. Now, Bank of America, I own. I actually trimmed a little bit last week. Uh, it is very rate sensitive. It's the most rate sensitive of all of them, right? They need that yield curve steeper. But they are doing a great job in terms of cost oh, cutting, so and their Wells. credit card business is quite strong. So, no, Wells is a totally different animal. Wells is a totally different animal. It's a complete well, restructuring it story with a new CEO. Obviously. But you know what? They're doing so many other things. They are so bloated. He's taken $8 billion out of costs at that company over the next couple of years. They are bloated. They still are bloated. He's got a whole new management team. So that's a restructuring story, improving capital levels, eventually a dividend increase. Eventually, they will be a laggard. Morgan Stanley, why do you think he's doing all this M&A? Because he wants to diversify away from the yield curve. American Express is all about travel and entertainment recovery. We've seen leisure recover. But we haven't seen business travel recover. Still down 80%. It's crazy. These numbers are crazy. But that is going to recover. And you want to buy in anticipation of that recovering. And finally, Prudential, the other one I own, it's also a restructuring story with a new management team, a great balance sheet, a lot of cash. They're doing asset sales. And they're going to find areas in the, in the world to grow above trend. 
These guys are still shaken up, too, by the ghosts of Square, if you will, and some of these fintech stocks. Right, Pete? Like, tell me, why would I want to buy one of these banks when I can buy a Square or Mm -hmm. a PayPal and I've got Jamie Dimon, you know, yesterday talking at this event, really sort of, you know, being self-critical of of the firm of we could have done Mm -hmm. Square. It's right in the palm of our hands, right in Mm -hmm. front of us. But we didn't. Right. We didn't have the imagination at the time or whatever. We just didn't get it done. That's an indictment in some respects of what the future of banking is going to look like. So why wouldn't I buy a SoFi or a PayPal or a Square over any one of these names, even if they're allegedly cheap, given where the yield curve currently is? Yeah, you make a lot of great points, Scott, and I, and I don't disagree with you, but Stephanie's 100% right. I mean, if you go back to November when the financials really started to take off to the upside, I think it makes total sense that we've come to a pause. We, took, we came to a pause after the technology stocks had that incredible run, and then we all of a sudden hit November, December. They hit the pause button, and they've been on the pause since, for the most part, when we talk about specifically most of the fangs, not all the fangs. Some have, have actually been pretty phenomenal, but when I look at the banks, you've got to look at them and decide. What are we really looking at? Are we looking at banks themselves? Are we looking at financials? Are we looking at credit card? What are we really looking at? One of my favorite names that's been absolutely a rocket ship has been Capital One. And why is that? Because 60 plus percent of their revenue comes from credit card. Then they've got the commercial side of banking and then they've got regular banking. So, you know, I think that there are, we have to distinguish between each and every one of these and which ones have the most rate sensitive to where they are and which ones are obviously more involved in the investment banking side of things. I mean, there are are a lot of different animals within the space that we always just say the banks, right? So I think it really is something you've got to know what you've got in your portfolio and know which ones probably are in the right space at the right time. But you're right, Scott. There was something missed by Jamie Dimon and others that they didn't go that fintech route. And I think that's something they're obviously kicking themselves over, but that doesn't mean it's over. I think these are companies that absolutely can make some moves very rapidly and pivot if they need to. And I think they need to now. I don't have any any of this in, hey, in my notes. Hey, so I, Scott, I don't remember. I don't, yeah. Scott, Scott, just quickly, but to your point, I don't think we have to wait for the banks to diversify among the financials and fintech in that area and wait to do it for us. To your point, I think we can look at the PayPal's. We can decide that we want to add the visas. We can look at the squares if they fit our disciplines. We should, I think, probably think about diversifying on our own. I mean, the Goldman Sachs model is so different. You get diversification there, but it's absolutely worth having, particularly when you get rates in this level. Well, I was going to come to you anyway, Michael Farr, and, and, and as I was saying, you know, I wasn't necessarily going to bring up American Express, so I don't, I don't have the, the notes on, on recent performance of it, but what about American Express? Anybody own that? Because as bullish as the CEO was with Kramer yesterday over at, you know, Bar San Miguel out, out at Brooklyn, Steph, do you own AXP? I own AXP. And I okay. own AXP what? for the recovery, tra- 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 yep. travel so and entertainment, I, as I mentioned then. before. Well, yeah. I mean, first and foremost, you guys saw the, the great management team there, and he's got a great bench, and they've been executing flawlessly. What they've done this year is they've said, okay, this year's going to be a crummy year for T&E spend, right, the recovery. On the business side, on the, on the leisure side, we're certainly seeing a recovery. But what they decided to do is heavily invest this year in their business, in their technology, in their systems. And so, therefore, as demand comes back into next year, 2022, and they don't have to spend as much, 
and they can reap the rewards from spending so much. They can gain market share and operating leverage. The stock has done nicely this year. It's up 36 percent after lagging big time last year. But I still think it has a lot, a long way to go. And every time I hear that CEO speak, I want to buy more. Well, it's outperformed PayPal and Square to the point of our conversation at the beginning so far this year. So, you know, it's had a nice move. Obviously, the other ones had a a move um, last year. What about let me steer the conversation this way. What about the tech trade? And I think it needs a little deserves a little bit more conversation. Right. The the queues are, are at a high, a record high. Biotech has been ripping, which has been enabling that big tech farmer, Jim is back on the move. You've seen a lot of those names, especially recently, start to pick up steam again. Positive call on Amazon again today, which, you know, I know there are positive uh, feelings about it among the investment committee, and Kramer was positive about it, too, the number one name in, in his universe. What about the tech trade, Jim? Yeah, well, it's a great question, because as you just pointed out, over the last week, week and a half, large cap tech has performed well. But let's also point out, and I'm just going to talk about the technicals on Amazon, right? Many of us, I, Josh, Stephanie, others have seen that Amazon was trying to break out at some point multiple times over the last two months, and it failed every time. So we really need to see a breakout. What does a breakout mean? It means a new high, all-time high on Amazon. It means a new all-time high on Apple. What I'm saying here is, yes, they're rallying. I'm happy to see it because, as you know, I loaded up in February and March in large cap tech. But it needs to be more convincing than it is right now. What we have as wind in our sails is valuation. Now, valuation is not a catalyst, but it is a support. When you see the forward multiple on Apple go from Apple go from 30 at the beginning of the year to 24, and the peg ratio go from 3 to 1.5, that tells you the multiple's going down as earnings estimates are going up. That's a fabulous condition. All you have to do is be patient. I think this is the breakout forming right now. But if it isn't, then it should be next month when earnings come out. Steph, you thinking about adding back to Amazon reiterated top pick today at J.P. Morgan price target forty six hundred. They say Amazon is almost 40 percent of U.S. e-commerce and is set to pass Walmart as the largest U.S. retailer by 2022 next year. Yeah, we started talking about this last week. Amazon was definitely on my short list. Look, I own it. It's 4% of my benchmark. I'm market weight. So I'm not making a big bet either way. But I just kind of thought it had been flat for a while, hasn't really done very much. Yes, you mentioned e-commerce. Obviously, we all know that story. But AWS is 59% of operating profits. So we really care about AWS. And only 15% of the workloads are in the cloud. These guys have a huge share. They're growing that business, something like 28 to 32% on average the last couple of quarters. So that's humming along as well. And then I actually kind of like this MGM deal, right? I mean, they have 4,000 film library, 17,000 TV shows. And what it does is it will attract attention and traffic and purchases around the website. Um, So there is an ecosystem there. And so I like that transaction very much. And uh, it's the second largest after Whole Foods. Michael Farr owns Apple. He owns Microsoft. He owns Facebook. He owns Alphabet. He says Fang's not dead. Amazon's nowhere to be found, Michael Farr. Why? Why? I wish I could buy it. Uh, I wish it would meet my price discipline um, because I, I really do love the company and the concept, but it just doesn't meet my price, price discipline. But, you know, Scott, for, for what do you mean? The valuation is just too big. Going, 
Is that what that means? No, no, no. It's too expensive. No, it's too expensive. And even even when you look at the peg ratio and the earnings and the earnings growth relative to the price to earnings multiple uh, and that growth rate, it's still too expensive. It's still, I mean, two standard deviations even above the rest of the FANG stocks. I mean, it's it's really it's 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 better way way better than a Tesla. But uh, I want more there. There, I, I've got a price discipline that I'm going to wait. If if it comes down, I'm buying it all day long. I love the company. But I've also been saying since the beginning of the year with you on halftime report that it, people have been calling for the death of Fang for for way too long. It's way too premature. You might be getting a bit of a cyclical ro- rotation out of these names at the beginning of the year, but these are still dominant companies with huge market share, and they're growing earnings at a superior rate to the S&P. That's the story. Earnings growth will drive stock performance over time. I want to own a lot of these stocks with great balance sheets, too. These aren't companies that are over-levered. These are good, solid balance sheets, and they're making money. I like a lot of them. It's tied into, as well, Pete, the Fed story, right? Every, all roads lead back to the Fed mm-hmm. and rates, right? If, if <laughs> rates remain here or low, mm-hmm. uh, whatever your definition of, of low is, chances are tech stocks are going to do okay. And that was sort of the point, Pete, that PTJ, Paul Tudor Jones, was making as well yesterday, which we did discuss yesterday. His idea, NASDAQ could go up another 20% from here if the Fed does nothing tomorrow because of the correlation a big call. Pete, you with me? Oh, Pete's frozen. Is he unfrozen? He's in his deep freeze. All right, we'll get him back in a second. Farmer Jim, you want to take that? Yeah, well, I, you know, it, it comes back to what I was saying just a minute ago that I, it, very similar to the discussion with banks, Scott, I think the tech trade needs to be decoupled from uh, the interest rate discussion. Right now, it's very tightly coupled, and it has been since February and March. I think what needs to decouple it is actual earnings power. And that's why I said a minute ago that I think second quarter earnings could be that. Obviously, first quarter earnings were not. The the markets gave a big razzie uh, to the tech stocks, even though they blew out their first quarter earnings. I'd be surprised if that happens again. I mean, ultimately, stock investing is follow the cash. These companies are generating gobs of cash. And you know what else? If they don't respond, then companies like Apple are just, and Google are just going to keep buying back their shares at low multiples. That's a pretty good consolation prize, if you ask me. Yeah, I just, I just don't know why now would be the time that, that those stocks would decouple, to use your word, uh, from the rate picture, right? I mean, the, the whole reason we were willing to pay up for growth. Now, these may not be the best representation of that because we're not talking about the same multiple stratosphere as we were and are in the Kathy Wood ARC stocks that we, we've, we've all talked about. But why would parts of tech decouple from the rate picture all of a sudden when they weren't able to last time, Farmer Jim? So two reasons. One is earnings. All right. That's ultimately well, what earnings matters were great last to the stock time, market. Earnings were blowout that's last a fair time. Point. I mean, you couldn't, you're, you're, you literally couldn't a, be better. Okay, that's absolutely true, Scott. But if you go back to fourth quarter earnings, they were fabulous and the stocks did respond. So you can't just say that, all right, last quarter it stunk. And so it's going to stink again this year, the response. Well, we weren't that ready, is. But though. That's number but we one. weren't that's ready for thesis. the reopen, right? We weren't ready yet for the full-blown value trade because we were still trying to figure out the virus, right, Jim? 
Like, you know, people are still getting vaccinated. Uh, now you've got, well, I mean, look, no, no, now no. Now you got no. 70 percent. The fourth quarter earnings reports. For, I'm sorry, I don't mean go to ahead. interrupt you. The fourth no, no, quarter please. earnings no, no, reports no, no, you go were ahead. late January. You go ahead. OK, fourth, fourth. But this is because it's a good point you're making. It's a great point, actually. The fourth quarter earnings reports came out in late January for the tech stocks. By that point in time, you know, the vaccines had been approved and people were getting their shots. So I don't think that's what the case is. Look, I think what this really comes down to is sometimes the market is just darn capricious and it frustrates the heck out of all of us. And we know that. So that first quarter earnings report that came out in late April, that was frustrating. Do you remember Apple and Qualcomm and all these stocks that reported great earnings flew in the aftermarket and then dribbled away the next day? That was incredibly frustrating. But that should not be looked at as the norm. I'm going to put it one more way, is that there are times when interest rates just don't matter. Right now they do, but there's going to come a point in time where they just don't matter. And I suspect that later this summer after earnings season is when that is. Steph? Scott, I I think it's a combination. If you think you're at peak growth in GDP and you think inflation is in fact transitory 100 percent and interest rates as a result actually of these two things stay low, that favors growth over value. And much of tech we know is growth, right? Um, Not to mention the fact that year to date, value has outperformed growth by 9%. So you're going to mean revert. That's totally normal, totally natural. But I I think it's these three things that are tied together that actually are more important for technology and growth as a whole. All right, Pete, speaking of tech and large cap tech, you bought Facebook calls, new ones. I, yeah, I did, Scott. Uh, you know what? I'm doubling down on uh, many of these various names. Bought calls just the other day and Apple, Facebook today. So I, I think that there's some opportunities out there that really are pointing towards the upside. Maybe we're finally out of somewhat of this pause that we've been in, although Facebook has not paused at all. Facebook hit all-time highs today. So that's been one of the names that has absolutely stood out amongst the FANG names in terms of its, its participation to the upside. It certainly hasn't disappointed at all. But I do think that there are names across the, that, that whole FANG space. And I think if you throw in a Microsoft, I think that they're ready to start moving again, Scott. We're seeing a lot of activity there. And, of course, uh, and I know we'll address this more in depth, but semiconductors as well. There's just a lot going on within that space of technology and semis that I think there is a lot of room to the upside still yet to come. Oh, I'm glad, I'm glad you um, mentioned the semis because coming up, we're going to take a quick break. They've been on a roll lately. One member of our investment committee is making some big moves in that space. We'll tell you what those latest trades are just ahead. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. 
Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. New York Governor Cuomo is soon expected to announce state officials are dropping nearly all COVID restrictions. Cuomo has said that the easings would happen once 70 percent of adult New Yorkers got at least one dose of a COVID vaccine. And California is doing its full reopening today. You can see what's changed in San Francisco. And also hear from Governor Newsom tonight on the News with Shepard Smith. Mackenzie Scott is donating $2.7 billion to address racial inequality. The former wife of Amazon founder Jeff Bezos giving the money to nearly 300 organizations. Last year, she made two rounds of donations totaling $6 billion. Newly released emails show how President Trump and his allies pressured the Justice Department to investigate unsubstantiated claims of voter fraud in the 2020 election. The emails were released by the House Oversight Committee. And if spiders aren't exactly a thing, you might want to look away from the camera because in Australia they are swarming by the thousands as they seek higher ground. That's after recent flooding, hundreds of joining forces, forces to build webs like you see there that are more than 30 feet long. Scott, I'll send it back to you. And literally, Rahel, as you were reading your top story about Governor Cuomo and the restrictions in the state of New York, he has lifted them. Literally, as you were reading that story, effective immediately, he said, all of the following pandemic restrictions are dropped in New York State, sports and recreation, construction, manufacturing, gyms, retail and malls, amusements, et cetera. So you get the picture there. Maybe, you know, S&P not exactly reacting that, but it's good news. Nonetheless, California's restrictions are over as today. That state's economy is absolutely on fire. Rahel Solomon, thank you very much for that. All right, let's talk semis. ETF's been positive for the last three days in a row, and the first time that's happened since its five-day winning streak ending May 28th. It's up almost 3% month-to-date, on pace for its eighth positive month in nine, which is saying something, Pete, given the fact that you've had this chip shortage, and you just bought Micron Calls new. Yep, I have some Micron calls. I've got some Intel calls added to stock positions that I've already got. I've also got Marvell in terms of some of the exposure that I've had. I like this space. I think that this space has got plenty of room to run. I was just talking about technology, and then I did dip in, and I talked about the semis. But I think the semis have lots of room still, Scott, to the upside. And it's a matter of, obviously, the supply shortage has been the problem. And everybody's been focusing on that for all the right reasons. And I think at some point we're going to start to see that start to accelerate to the upside. And maybe that's starting to begin now because of what we're seeing. We see a lot of anticipation, at least, in the derivatives markets that are telling me that, yes, we're going to start seeing a little bit more upside. We've seen it in NVIDIA almost on a daily basis since the stock was trading closer to 600. And now here it is well above 700. So I think that the space is ready for the next level and maybe break right through those 52-week highs, all-time highs. All right. Okay, sorry, Pete. Uh, Stephanie Link, you bought more Lamb Research and NXP. Tell us. 
You know, both stocks since April have been flat. And so that was kind of got my attention. Um, Lamb Research, it's all about DRAM and NAND recovery, which we're beginning to see. DRAM we have, NAND not so much. That's the second half of the year story. And they, as a result, have raised their wafer fab equipment numbers from $70 billion to $75 billion. That's twice in a year that they've raised that number. And it's all because of the digital transformation. Numbers are going higher. They plan on gaining market share 4 to 6%. More market share by 2023. Excellent management team. NXPI still, again, flat since April, strong end market. 70% of their total revenues are auto, internet of things, and industrial with a 5G overlay. They are actually expecting growth above the first half of the year by 20%. So numbers are also headed higher. And I like this management team. Oh, by the way, they increased their, their dividend 50% and increased their buyback by $2 billion a couple of uh, weeks ago. So that's good as well. Oh, you don't need to sell it to Jim Farmer. Jim, Right, Jim? You, you love <laughs> NXP, too. Well, I do. And, I, I, you know, I think everybody should have exposure in chips. And this exposure to autos via chips is just a home run. But, Scott, if you'll indulge me, I want to talk about NVIDIA for a second because I think this is important. NVIDIA has roared over the last month. It's up something like 22%, and it's up 35% year-to-date. It's a very important reason why chips as a sector have rallied. And here's the point I want to make. They're going to split. I think they're splitting next week. Does anyone remember last August with Tesla and Apple when they announced splits and the whole month before they rallied, rallied, rallied hard? And then we're kind of flat thereafter. Here's the point I'm making. After next week, I would not be surprised if NVIDIA flatlined. It's not, it makes no sense that a split would cause it to rally, but I think that's what's happening. And what you need to see is you need to see the rest of the chip sector, which has done okay this year, really start to surge and take the reins from NVIDIA. Hey, maybe Qualcomm should split. Just saying. Yeah. Okay. That was, that was pretty funny. I'm going to give you that Just one. Just saying. That was, that, you know, yes, okay. that was a little egg on my face, but I like it. That was funny. I mean, I only say that because I'm looking year to date. I got the SMH up 16, Lamb Research up 36, NXPI up 28, yeah. NVIDIA up 37. Intel is up 16 and a half. And then there's Qualcomm. Qualcomm. Excuse me. Down 10 and a half. Down 10 and a half percent. Yeah. So, so this is one of those times that you get to fling mud at me. It's okay. I can live with it. I'm pretty sure that by the end of this year, I wouldn't be surprised if you're 20% higher on uh, Qualcomm and if it goes above 170, which would be a new all-time high. You know, for right now, I just got to talk softly and let the earnings come through. And if I have to take stones from the Philistines, then I'll do that. <laughs> Was that a compliment? No. Up next... This red hot so red. Yeah, I didn't think so. This red hot reopening stock is up more than 50% this year. Why it may go up another 50% from here. We'll reveal the mystery chart, debate it coming up. Plus, June is Pride Month, as you know, and all month long we're spotlighting CNBC contributors, business leaders, and our own CNBC anchors. Here is and producers, here is Pfizer Chief Corporate Affairs Officer Sally Sussman. Much to my amazement, being a gay woman has actually been an asset to me in business. I had to make a decision early on whether or not to come out. And once I came out, I felt clear, courageous, bold, brave, and able to make really authentic relationships that have served me well in business and in life. What does it mean to be rich? 
Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Let's hit our calls of the day now. First up, Bank of America making a bullish call on Exxon. Pete, they reiterate the buy at B of A, $90 price target. That's a big jump from here, 45%. You have XOM calls, Pete. Yeah, and they and they identify the free cash flows. There's a lot of different things that are very positive about what Bank of America's call is here. I like what they're talking about here, Scott. I don't know whether or not I buy into the idea of the price target that they've got out there, but um, I'm excited about it being a, a guy who owns the calls for this. I own Chevron stock, and I own a lot of the different beta names right now in exposure, and I've done that since November when it really started a really hit on our systems, and it just continues. So I continue to see it even as, as recently as this morning. We were seeing um, in, in NOV, we were seeing some call buying. We've seen it across the board in this energy space for a while now. I like Exxon. I, I don't like it enough to own it as a stock, though. I choose to have Chevron as a stock. In the past, I liked Exxon. I think Exxon has to prove it still to me that they're going to be disciplined. And that's what a lot of this is all about with the, the changes in the boardroom is, will they be more disciplined? They're saying yes. Obviously, Bank of America agrees. Hey, Pete, for, forgive me. for. I hope I'm not putting you on the spot. Maybe, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Um, do you know like what calls you like shorter dated longer dated like what the actual numbers are behind the calls you have in exxon oh sure uh, what what i do oftentimes with exxon scott is it's just a different way of looking at things so i don't like to be an etf so i'd much rather be in an individual stock so whether or not exxon mobile hit is, a, is is not really the case it's xle when people are buying huge calls in something like the xle when you look at 40 percent of that representation is either chevron or or, or exxon with that 40% level, I move over and I do trades that are off, oftentimes over in something like Exxon. That's what I did here. And they're fairly short term, one month out uh, and just above where the stock is right now. Yep. Oh, good. Good stuff. I appreciate it. And I hope I didn't put you on the spot yeah. there. But, uh, sure. but thanks for handling that. Not all right. at all. Um, all right. <laughs> Coca-Cola is the other call of the day I want to talk about uh, because it did get another call today. And that is a reiterating of Outperform at Credit Suisse. I had it up and then I lost it, but there it is. Uh, Steph and Pete both own Coca-Cola. The Linkster, you go first. Yeah. Yeah, it's been like a miserable investment. It's flat year to date. It lagged all last year because 50% of its business is on-prem. So it actually is a reopen name. And that's why I really do like it. And while we wait for the reopen, you get a 3% yield, which is very well secured. Um, so the, the other thing is the CEO has been focused on uh, increasing their organic growth. And so they, they can return to 7% organic growth, which compares to 3 to 5% five years prior to 2019. So they have this plan with new products, new initiative, cost efficiencies. So I think the setup is really good, but it's not been fun to own. Um, but it is a very large position for me within the staple sector. Michael Farr, do you want to make the case for Pepsi over Coca-Cola? Because that's where you've placed your own bets. 
It is where I place my own bets and Coca-Cola, very fine company. And uh, you never bet against Stephanie Link, right? Just don't bet against Stephanie. Uh, but, I, you know, if I'm going to choose between the two, I prefer Pepsi. I like the more diversified business. I've got a 3%, almost 3% dividend. I've got a 10% earnings grower at a pretty reasonable price. So uh, I, I, I get the Coke trade, but I like the more diversified business. And it's another reopening trade, too. You get the same, a lot of the same argument with Pepsi, and I, it's, it's where I've got my money. Yeah, well, I mean, it's another one that hasn't really done anything year to date to Steph's frustrations in Coca-Cola. It's not like Pepsi <laughs> has uh, knocked it out of the park either, Michael Farr. No, it started right. pretty well at the beginning of the, beginning of the year and went down and has come back up. I mean, but the trend on Pepsi and Coke look pretty good right now. Okay. Stay with us. Pete has his unusual activity trades coming up next. We'll do that here on the Half Plus. Don't miss the CNBC Evolve Global Summit. That's coming up next Wednesday, June 16th, or this Wednesday, June 16th. What day is it? Tomorrow. That's when we're doing it. Go to CNBCEvents.com slash Evolve. It's been a long week already. It's only Tuesday. We're back after this. It's unusual time, Pete. What do you have for us today? All right, I'm going to start off. Now, I mentioned this earlier. We talked about Intel, and I actually bought calls today. These are the calls that I was buying. And by the way, they were buying the 59 strike calls last Friday, Scott. Today, they bought 34,000 of the June 25th expiring 62 calls, followed by another 5,000 of the June 25th 60 calls. So really aggressively positioning here. They've got a big conference coming up. We heard John Ford talk about it. That's going to be on Monday. So that should be something. Maybe that's going to be the catalyst of what we're seeing here. Stock was trading about 58.11 at the time of these trades. That biggest trade, those options were only going for about 30 or 13 cents up to about 20 cents. Secondly, I've got Centene. Now this one's pretty interesting. Doesn't hit a lot. We're talking about healthcare plans, but we've also got June buying and they're buying the June 72 and a half calls. Stocks trading right around 69 at the time, and they bought 5,000 of these for about 55 cents, Scott. So fairly interesting to see that. They also sold some upside and they sold some downside puts. The whole trade looks like a nice, big, very bullish trade looking for an upward move to, the, to maybe even test those 52-week highs. Lastly, I'm going to give you an update. IQ, we talked about it on June 4th. We talked about these July 23rd expiring uh, calls that are at the 14 strike. Those have already moved substantially, so I think it's time to start looking at that and saying, hey, maybe adios on these because the stock has moved significantly higher. Those options have moved as well, and it might be time to say goodbye unless the discipline side of you says, you know what, I want a little bit more time because these go out to July. But I think there's time for action right now to at least start maybe trimming out of that trade. All right, good stuff, Pete. Thank you very much. Ask Halftime is coming Thanks. up next. You can send your questions by video. We'll play it on the air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back after this. Let's go ahead and answer some of your questions now. First up, Stephanie Link, Trey in Florida, wants to know, is Anaplan or Pubmatic the better software, the better software as a service play? What do you think? Well, I own Anaplan, and um, I, I, I'm just frustrated. It's down 30% on the year. Even after they had a great quarter, they beat and they raised, and current bookings were up 40%. Total bookings were up 52%. 
total customer count up 20 percent. I mean, they're doing all the right things. The total addressable market is a trillion by the end of the decade. So I'm frustrated, but I like the business development story within the cloud. I think they'll get their momentum back. So I like this one. And I think you can get it at a good price right now. Okay, good stuff. Thank you for that. Pete, let's go to the video. Hi, I'm Michael from Scottsdale, Arizona. I love your guys' show. I was wondering about the company C Limited, ticker SE. It's a Singapore-based company that deals with gaming, e-commerce, and fintech. It sounds all good. I was wondering your thoughts on it. Thank you. All right, thank you for the question. Yeah, Michael, uh, Pete, this is a real... What do you think? Yeah, Michael, I, I think this is a really great question. I, I love the company. I'm, I'm still waiting to see when they're actually going to produce the real numbers. But right now, they've got great free cash flow. They've got growth, obviously, and the online gaming is a very hot spot to be in. I like this name, and I think it's, it, it's tradable. But I tell you what, I think you have to also understand that this, this company needs to show us a little bit more on the fundamental side than they have so far. All right, good stuff. All right, Jimmy, lastly for you, let's go to the video. I have a question for farmer Jim Liebenthal regarding Cleveland Cliffs, which has run from 19 to 24 in the last three days. Would you wait for a pullback here or would you jump in right here and, and look for the Wall Street Bets Reddit crowd to take it higher? Thank you very much. Have a good day. All right. That's a good one, Jimmy, right? They, they okay. pre-announced. They raised their guidance. They did yeah. get caught up in the little meme mania world. So, I, you know, it's a, it's, a tough, <laughs> it's a tough call. What, what do you tell them? It, 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 so it's a tough call, but there's a, there's a clear answer, which is you are supposed to buy it here if you don't own it. Now, let me start with this is my biggest personal position. They just pre-announced for the third time in three months. They just increased guidance for the third time in three months. They paid down $400 million of debt last week early. They've got so much cash flow, they don't really know what to do with it. They're just buying back all their debt, then they're going to give it to us. This stock should be above $30 a share at the beginning of next year. Not because of Reddit, not because of inflation, but because the management is so good, they've made these key acquisitions that are just they're printing presses for cash. So $21, let me say this, in January it was 15 and people said, shouldn't you trade out of it now? No, don't get caught with that. Buy it here, hold it to 30 next year. All right, Farmer Jim. We'll take a quick break. Final trades are next. <laughs> Let's do final trades. Stephanie Link, you are up first. Cisco. So the stock trades at 17 times earnings. It's up 20% year to date, but it's only up 22% in the last year. I think this is going to be the year where we, where we see enterprise spend recover. These guys stand to benefit. Okay, Michael Farr. CVS, Scott, it started to move this year, thank God. 10 times earnings, 10% earnings growth, uh, and a 2.4% uh, dividend. I like this stock, and a beta below one. I can't, they got to yep. own it. All right, the good farmer. Uh, you know I love Michael's pick, but Thermo Fisher, it's been blah for most of this year because people see COVID going away. It's got a lot more than COVID testing going for it. This is a great multi-year hold from this point. Talked about that with Kramer this morning. All right, Jimmy, thank you. All right, Pete, wrap it up for us today. Yeah. The energy space just continues to hit for us. I just saw some Halliburton coming across. I think Halliburton breaks mm -hmm. through 25, Scott. All right, keep an eye on HAL. It does it for us. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. 
You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.